0: You've heard of Pret A Manger, I'm sure. They made a big announcement uh, later this year. Pret A Manger are going to open a homeless shelter uh, here in the centre of London. So, despite being a coffee company, uh, Pret A Manger are t- taking a step. Think about that. The reaction on Twitter and social media kind of fell in the camps because you had those people who were really praising Pret A Manger. You know, people saying, wow, this this is epic. You know, a coffee company doing something so showing social concern. That's amazing. So you had those people, but it's social media and it's Twitter. So you had the sceptics as well. And you, of course, and people, lots of them, questioning pret motives. You can get it, can't you? Them asking, well, why is a coffee company doing this? Is it out of genuine concern for the homeless? Is it altruism? Is it genuine care for the needy? Or are pret a being really clever here? Are they realising in our current climate it's really beneficial for a company to be seen to have a social conscience? So you see it. They're asking, what were their motives? Really, what's going on there behind the scenes, deep down? What are the motives there? Now, that's pret Manger. But this morning in God's word, friend, it is your motivation, my motivation, our motives that come under the spotlight. The question of why do we do the things that we do as God's people? Why do we do what we do? And in order to show you what on earth I'm talking about, this is what I would ask you to do straight off the bat. I'd ask you to look actually at Matthew 5 and verse 20. Let's start there. Have a look at Matthew 5, verse 20. Because what I'm just going to do in less than a minute, I reckon, is just trace Jesus' recent thought in the Sermon on the Mount, what he's been doing in the most recent background. So have a look at verse 20. You got it? Boys and girls got it? What does Jesus say? He says this, For I tell you, now, drink in the words, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're not a Christian in this room just now, do you understand what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that you will never ever be right with the eternal God through mere external activity. Like no amount of good stuff that you do, no amount of charitable deeds is going to save your soul. Instead, what is Jesus saying there? He says we need heart righteousness. That's the idea of verse 20, isn't it? Heart righteousness. We need an inner change that only comes from above. In short, what does Jesus say in verse 20? He says we need God's righteousness. We need the righteousness of Jesus. That's the bombshell in verse 20. Okay, right, fine. We got verse 20. Then what does Jesus do? Have a look with me on the page. Do you see from there, from verse 20 to the beginning of chapter 6, you've got six different sections. You can, If you don't trust my maths, which normally would be fair enough, but I can count the six. I mean, if you don't trust me, you can count them. Six sections, do you see them? Anger, lust divorce, so on. What's Jesus doing in those six sections? He's showing his people what that heart righteousness actually should lead to. He's showing us what standard God wants to see from his people once they have enjoyed and experienced by grace that inner change. So is everyone in the room with me? Young and old. We all got it? Jesus drops this bombshell. You need a new heart for salvation. Then he shows us in all these sections, he shows us what that heart righteousness should look like and lead to in our lives. Where does that take us to? Where does that take us to? takes us to our section this morning. And it is what I am going to call the prêt à manger section of Scripture. Maybe you can see why we're calling it that. From verse 1 to verse 18... Of chapter 6, Jesus is going to challenge our motives. From verse 1 to 18, he's going to push us to consider why do we do the things that we do as God's people, as the children of God. And I'll tell you this, for nothing, it is incredibly challenging. Because Jesus is going to show us here that God wants more from his people than you and I as Christians doing the right thing. God wants us as Christians doing the right thing, and for the right reasons. Our motives are challenged this morning by God. So, I'm going to make a start. You've got your Bible in front of you, I'm sure, given the introduction there. So the first point that I want us to consider as this if you're taking notes make sure you get it our guiding principle so there's gonna be three points this morning in the sermon the first one is our guiding principle the guiding principle okay everyone ready to go yeah okay now i reckon first word of the chapter helps you and i to appreciate jesus tone in this kind of new section of scripture do you notice what the first word is <laughs> it's the word beware so immediately what do you know you know that god in his word this morning is warning you and me about something but what is he warning about because in verse one you notice he mentions righteousness and if you know your bible you know righteousness as many facets and many different ideas attached to it so what what's he warning about well this is important Make sure you get it. The focus this morning is on our religious practice. Do you notice what Jesus says? He talks about practicing your righteousness. So the focus this morning is on our religious, you know, our religious observance, our religious activity, our devotion. And maybe you can see what he's doing. That in the previous six sections, he was contrasting the Pharisees' moral righteousness. And then suddenly we get into chapter 6, and he's contrasting the Pharisees' religious righteousness. You get the idea? So it's a religious observance and a religious activity, kind of under the spotlight just now. Everyone's got that. Now, in a second, what Jesus is going to do is give us three examples of religious activity. Did you notice them? Verse 2, Christian giving. Verse 5, Christian praying. Verse 16, Christian fasting. You see how they're religious activities. He's going to give us examples of that. Most of them we'll deal with in future weeks. But before he does this, Jesus does something so exciting. Because before he gets to the examples, what he does in verse 1 is give us this overarching principle. Wait for this. You ready for It's a principle that should govern all of our christian devotion you hear that like a principle that should govern all of our religious activity all of our religious observance so that's big man right like that's massive so we want to know what it is don't we don't you let's look at verse one let's read this principle together verse one here's the principle beware of practicing your religion if you like let's read that some translations Render it like that. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Here's the principle. Beware of doing that before other people in order to be seen by them. Right? I'm going to read that again so that we've all got it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. Now, can I ask you, Christian brother and sister, what's your first thought when you hear that principle? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by that. What's your first thought? For some, it might be that that seems contradictory. Because if you've been here for this sermon series, what did Jesus just say on the previous page? Can I, can I remind you what he said? He said this to you. He said, Let your light shine <laughs> so that others can see your good deeds. Do you see it? So... He said, let your light shine on one hand so that other people can see your good deeds. And then just a few words later on, what's this Jesus saying? Beware of actually practicing your righteousness before other people in order. to be seen by them. So, is, I mean, people throughout the centuries have said, well, this is contradictory. This is Jesus contradicting. So, do you think that's what it is? Is this contradictory? I mean, surely I, 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 the children in here even can understand this is not contradictory. I mean, you understand that, do you? Like in the previous chapter, what was Jesus doing? He was speaking against our cowardice, wasn't he? The fact that we're so punious Christians. We're always trying to hide the fact that we're believers from the world. And he says, no, 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 let your light shine. That's not what Jesus is speaking about here, is it? In fact... Listen to this. If you get, honestly, nothing else at all this morning, listen to this. What is Jesus doing in this portion of Scripture? Listen, he is speaking against our tendency to seek the praise of men. That's what this is about. When he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. What's he saying to you? He's saying, watch your heart. In your religious activity, watch your motivation. Speaking against that desire, we've got to always seek the applause of other people in a religious activity. You seek their adulation. Preaching. I tell you, preaching. And then looking for the the, the compliments of the crowd. You know, or what about, you know this, don't you? Being at a Bible study and contributing at the Bible study. And then you find yourself thinking, Oh, I hope they like that. I hope they thought that was really insightful. Or what about praying publicly? You've been there, have you? Praying, and then you finish praying. You find yourself thinking, wow, I hope they loved that. I, thought they, I hope they thought that was spiritual. My use of scripture in the way that I prayed. Do you see it? Do you see it? The idea of looking for the praise of people. Jesus warning us about this. Now, I've got another question for you. What do you think of this topic this morning? I mean, I'm not talking about sexuality. And I'm not talking about gender roles in the church. I'm not talking about hell. Um, so maybe you think, actually, this isn't that riveting. You know, assessing my own heart motivation in my Christian practice. This is not that. This is dull, right? You think it that. Are you thinking that this is not very important for your life? Well, I assure you, Scripture can change your mind if you just look at the way verse 1 ends and you think about how it applies to your own life. Look how verse 1 ends. So beware of practicing your religion before other people in order to be seen by them. And then you read this. For if you do that and you're concerned for the congratulations of other people, you will have... Look at the words. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know that name, right? The Welsh minister who ministered in London. Lloyd-Jones, we we know him. He said about that phrase there that it was one of the most painful phrases to him. He said that this chapter of Scripture was the most painful chapter in all of the Bible for him. Maybe you see why. We're seeing the consequence of too much self-concern. Now you listen to me, will you? That if we are too interested in how other people see us in a particular spiritual activity, what are we learn in there? That that interest in other people renders us void of heavenly prize for that religious act of devotion. It renders us void of heavenly prize. And, and does that stagger you? I mean, surely it does, because we're so interested or we're so rather familiar of hearing that about unbelieving people. Aren't we? We hear about the fact that Christians, sorry, rather non-Christians, those outside of Christ, because of their status, they can do nothing that will receive divine recognition in the last. We know that about non-Christians. We know that about unbelievers. But what is this you're confronted with here this morning? that though your salvation christian is in no way threatened there is a parallel for you now listen what i'm going to say you can do the greatest act of christian service and you can preach the greatest sermon that has ever been heard by man and you really can, like you can you can sell your house and you can sell your car and you, all your possessions you can give every single penny of that to the church but what's this if our primary concern in that is for the praise of men that act stores up for us nothing in terms of heavenly reward nothing we can preach the greatest sermon ever but if we're more concerned about the praise of men no prize from god no heavenly reward in that i don't know about you but i begin to side with martin Lloyd jones This seems to be a painful guiding principle that we're dealing with this morning. The second thing that we see here, though, is our giving probed. So we've got our guiding principle. The second thing is our giving probed. Some of you were here six and a half years ago or seven years ago, right about then, when I was inducted as the minister of this church, it was about six and a half, seven years ago, where we had an induction service here in the building. Some of you were here for that. Uh, a f- smaller number will remember uh, <laughs> one of the talks that was given that day by my former minister. Um, if you've never been to a free church induction service, I think I've said this to you before, they can go on a little bit. Or a long bit, actually. And during uh, this talk by my former minister, he began to talk about how sermons used to be constructed in Scotland about a hundred years ago. Okay, so you can you can decide for yourself whether it was a riveting and talk or not. But he said that sermons used to be constructed all in the same way in Scotland about 100 years ago. They all used to have what he called three Ps and a poem. You see the idea, do you? All sermons used to be constructed. They'd have three points, all beginning, had to be alliteration, had to begin with P, and then it would end with a nice little verse or a nice little, nice little hymn, bit of a hymn. Something like three Ps and a, a poem. Now, As we move in Scripture from this principle about our heart, and as we move from that into Jesus' example, his first example of how that works out in our giving, I want to be really ambitious with you just now. Because this is what I want you to do. I want you to look really carefully at verses 2 to 4. And what I want you to do is I want you to follow through from verse 2 to 4 as I throw at you, not three Ps in a poem, but I just want to highlight four Ps that you see from verse 2 to verse 4. Now, I'm going to rattle through this, not 100 miles an hour, but you, you'll do this with me, will you? You'll follow from verse 2 to verse 4. In the boys and girls, you can stop your worksheet. You can do that, and you can look at verses 2 to 4. Now, first of all is to note the presumption so have a look at how this begins do you see how it begins in verse two so he's got this principle a heart motive and then he says thus when you give and i just want you to stop there you just wrestle with that what's jesus doing what is jesus doing with you there is he commanding you to give is he instructing you to give He doesn't say if you give. What does he say? He says when you give. What Jesus is doing is assuming. And he's speaking to his people and assuming that we give. In fact, you know what? It's even more than that. Think about the overall picture. When Jesus needs one basic example of Christian piety to illustrate his principle, where does Jesus go for his most elementary example of Christian activity? Does he go first to prayer? Does he go to Bible reading or church attendance? Where does he go for his first, his most basic example? He goes to Christian giving to the needy. Wow. That's amazing, right? Isn't it amazing? I'm not going to linger on that other than to say this. If you are a believer in this room just now, if you're not a Christian, couldn't care less. Honestly, if you're not a believer, do what you want with your money. This is not about your money. But if you are a believer in this room and you are not giving all i have to say surely that challenges you even the construction of our lord's phrase challenges us what do we learn giving's not nice added extra not something optional it is something to christ that is so utterly basic and elementary in the christian living that he assumes it, brother and sister and he assumes it of your life and the second p the prohibition Okay, now, you're meant to be follow me through it, so let's do that. Look at verse 2. What is it that Jesus does not want us to do? Do you see it? Thus, when you give to the needy, what's the prohibition? Sound no trumpet before you. That's what the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now, we could uh, spend ages talking about whether those trumpets are metaphorical trumpets or literal trumpets you know as a lot of people think that it's actually literal that you can imagine it can you the temple trumpets in the first century they sounded and this is the cue for the pharisees to stop what they were doing and to walk the streets of jerusalem to the temple You know, in this big, lavish way, handing out their cash to the poor and needy, making this big show of it on their way up to the... It could be literal, more likely, I think, metaphorical. We could talk about that in a sense again. Who cares? Because what matters here is how this applies to you and to me. And friends, what would you say to that? Would you say that it's obvious when Jesus says, do you sound no trumpet? Would you say it's obvious... Would you say clearly we're not to make a song and dance of a Christian giving? Is that the idea? That we're not to seek a big fanfare when we're given to the poor, given to the church. Is that the idea? Yes, that's the idea. But don't we have to be so, so careful with this? Can't we sound really subtle trumpets in our giving? Let me give you a couple of examples. What about that Facebook post at Christmas time? Do you know the one? One where it is announced that you're not going to be giving Christmas cards this year. You're going to be giving your money to the poor. You're going to be giving your money to the charity. What are you doing? What happens there? You're not saying a word, but you're sounding a trumpet about your giving. What about a cup of tea later on? And you hear that person, what they're saying. They're bemoaning the fact there's not enough people giving to the assistant minister fund to LCPC. There's not enough people giving to the benevolent fund. I think it's disgraceful not enough people are giving to these funds. What's that person doing? Indirectly, they're saying, I am guilty of no such charge. Indirectly, they're saying, I am giving plenty. Do you see it? We have to be ever so careful because what does Jesus say to you? He says, send no trumpet, no trumpet, no matter how subtle a blast. Then the third P, if you're following with me, You come, you see it, don't you? You come to the correct path. Because about halfway through verse 4, we are told how Christians are to give. I wonder if you can zero in on it, can you? Halfway through verse 4. How are we to give? Boys and girls, do you see it? What does it say? Halfway through, we're to give in secret. Is that what, that's what it says, isn't it? Now, if we swap places, friend, and if you were up here and you had to teach this section of scripture, how would you summarize Jesus' point? When he says, sound no trumpet, give in secret, what what would you say to these good people if you had to summarize it and teach it? Would you say that Jesus is telling us not to let on, not to let anyone know about our Christian giving and to keep it private from other people? Would you say that? I hope so. That's part of it. But I need you to understand the standard here is so much higher because look with me at verse 3. It will blow your socks off. Look at verse 3. Because Jesus is... Now, who's the focus here? Jesus says, when giving, do not let whose left hand whose left hand do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so from whom are we to keep our giving secret from other people you say who else yeah we're to give our keep our giving secret from ourselves you, do you understand the idea there that we're not to be congratulating ourselves on our sacrificial giving at the church We're not in our sort of devotional lives or as we go about our daily lives sort of be patting ourselves on the back because we're giving so well. I'm not guilty of this sin. I'm doing so well with my Christian giving. You see it? We're not to, we're not to do that. I mean, isn't the bar so high? Do you see that the heart is everything in Christian giving? The heart is everything. We are not to seek recognition from other people, but we are not to seek the recognition of ourselves lingering on our giving to make us feel better about ourselves. No, in our Christian giving, the focus must wholly be on the glory and honor of God. And then the fourth of these P's, Notice the prize. Because I say to you, friend, isn't the promise at the end of this section of Scripture heartwarming? Look at the end of verse 4. Jesus tells us that should our motivation be correct, should we give for the glory and honor of God, that he sees that and he rewards us for it. That Yes, I think there's an element there of the poor being relieved of their need. But surely you see that there is a greater reality here that if we give us, we ought to give as Christians, not worrying about the recognition, you know, not being concerned about the recognition, but being concerned for God's glory. What will happen in the last? Christian friend, we stand before God. He opens the books of life and we hear his voice say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. There is for us, there is heavenly reward. So we've seen a guiding principle, we've seen our giving probe. and I'll just end very briefly with our guilt publicised, our guilt publicised. I, I really do wonder if you are challenged by the principle of this portion of scripture. Is it not challenging because our sin is so evident in front of us this morning? you not think so? It's when, always, isn't it, with Scripture that when our motives are questioned or our hearts are assessed, that we begin to see how far short we fall of the glory of God. And I mean that, first of all, for you who are Christians in here this morning. I mean, Christian friend... Are you genuinely not challenged by this portion of Scripture? Who out of a, here, as Christians, could our motives in our religious observance, our motives are always good and pure. It's just not like that, is it? I mean, some of us come to church, and I think if we were honest with ourselves, sometimes we come to church and we're here just so that other people don't think badly of us. You know, like, we come because sometimes our wife is going to give a stick if we don't do it or a husband or our minister and elders are going to chase us up you know or see when that money bag was passed around earlier on and you didn't put money in it and i'm not judging you i mean you you know that you may give other ways you no know, but what was your first thought when you passed that money bag on was it wonder if anyone saw that i didn't put any money in I wonder what people thought of that. Do, do you see, like, consistently, we are concerned for the applause and the adulation and the, the praise of the other people in our lives. And I ask you, Christian friend, do you see what that is? Do you know what that is? That is idolatry. Like, we're wanting Seeking for ourselves the praise and the honor and the glory that should be by rights directed towards God. It's idolatry in our hearts. Do you see our sin in this? That's for the Christian. But then what about the people in here who are not Christians? The elders have been talking this week, and we've been praying this week, and it's been really the most exciting aspect of church life at LCPC in the last couple of months is the increasing number of people at our services who don't know Jesus. Like the amount of people in here just now who haven't publicly professed faith in Christ or rested in him for salvation. I mean, so exciting for us to see that. But if that is you, is God not confronting you with your sin this morning? Now you consider what I'm going to say to you. That you outside of Christ have never done anything in your life that ultimately pleases God. That outside of Christ, in fact, you know what? That is an impossibility. That outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, you remain with a sinful nature that really separates you from God. Outside of Christ, you've got a sinful nature that renders you opposed to God. You cannot please God. This is so stark. We consider the predicament. You do not, of yourself, possess the spiritual ability to act in a God-pleasing way, with God-pleasing motivation. It's an entire impossibility to you spiritually outside of Christ Jesus. So we are all here right now with this section of scripture saying, what sin is in our hearts? Don't we, what sin and guilt? Yes, depravity in our hearts. So you know why, you know how I have to end this sermon. By pointing us all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what has God done in this picture of sin and guilt and misery? What has he done? He has sent his son for his church. And what has Jesus Christ Done. Listen to this. Listen. He has lived entirely, entirely with perfect and godly motivation. Every minute of his earthly life, perfect godly motivation. You understand what that means? He has never, ever, ever thought for himself in his earthly ministry. He's thought always for the glory of his father. You understand, his first priority, never himself. Isn't that so different to us? He has done every single thing, every action, every thought, every step. Every single thing he has done for the eternal glory of his father. And then in death, what has the Lord Jesus Christ done? He is given to the needy for the glory of his God. That there at the cross, isn't that what we see? He has given willingly his life. He has willingly borne your punishment, Christian friend, on that cross to meet your greatest need, that spiritual need. So if you're a Christian in here, don't you see what we do? We rejoice that the Lord Christ has done for you What you cannot do for yourself and live with godly motivation. Don't you praise Jesus for that? But if you are not a Christian, I beg you to listen to me. Can we just end where we begun? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, what was the promise from God? You will never enter the kingdom of God We end where we started. You need the righteousness of Jesus. You need God's righteousness. Will you not now call to him, plead with him for that righteousness and have your heart changed, be transformed forevermore? Because listen to it, listen to it. There is forgiveness here. There is, there is forgiveness in the gospel for his forgiveness at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's bow and let us worship our God. Let's pray. Lord, we see and feel in our heart the strength of the warning. Beware. And we realize why there is such a stern warning from our Savior because as people As Christians, we are consistently concerned for the praise and adulation of other people. We do not act often with correct motives. Lord, we are so grateful that Christ has come to do what we cannot do and live in a way that pleases our Heavenly Father. We long for Him, our Savior Christ, you, Jesus, to be praised and worshipped in here this morning but we long for that to happen through the saving of souls. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be at work in this very moment, O God, to awaken, regenerate, and make new people that they might sing praise to the Son of God. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.